when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we, we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And, and when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Really, these songs are just prayers. And we want to pray this morning, like the song says, we're asking for your heart. Please give us your heart. As we look through scripture and read these words, Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would inspire us to, to one, draw closer to you, but two, to have a deeper desire to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. It's good to see everyone. I was supposed to be up here with you last week, but I was on my couch with a box of tissues and uh, coughing and sniffling, and that is also how I brought in the new year. So, <laughs> unfortunately for me, but I thank uh, our Advent Hope team. I want to thank Vadim for um, coming and sharing last week. And um, yes, blessed to, to work here and have, have a, a good um, support system. So every year at the beginning of the year here at Advent Hope, we like to review um, our focus, our mission, our goals, where we're headed as, as a church. And last year we began our whole life discipleship initiative, right? And what is that? Well, it's basically an initiative that 
seeks to promote holy, or excuse me, yes, holy spirit-led, holy spirit, that's two words, but together. <laughs> holy spirit-led growth of the whole person, okay? Of your entirety, not separate your spiritual life into some other box, but you are one entire complete person. And yeah, your spiritual experience can't be separated from the rest of your life experience. It's all intertwined. One thing affects the other. And so the reality is, is that the process of discipleship shouldn't simply make you a better Christian. It should make you a better person as a whole. It should inspire a love for God, a love for your neighbor, and a love for yourself. Not in an arrogant or selfish way, but we do have a problem as a society not loving ourselves, right? And a lot of problems come from that as well. But anyways, with, with whole life discipleship, there are four areas that we focus on. One of those areas is evangelism. What is evangelism? It's communicating the gospel or the good news, right? And that's through, it could be through public proclamation. It could through, be through personal witness. It could be just you being. Just you being present and having a connection to God can be evangelistic. Another focus in this initiative is the idea of formation. What is that? Holistic growth and sanctification. This is a work, this is a divine work. This is a work that God does on our behalf, does for us, in us. Another uh, uh, aspect of the whole Life Discipleship Initiative is justice and mercy, which means embodying the good news and serving on behalf of our neighbors and alongside our neighbors. And lastly, our last focus uh, in this initiative is Faith and work, well, what is that? How do we integrate our belief, our Christian belief and understanding into our places of work, into our career, into our everyday experiences? How does our connection with God influence the impact that we have on others, right? So the Whole Life Discipleship Initiative is our plan here at Advent Hope to encourage and support you as you journey through life with God. And so we've been seeking to implement that. And as we think about this discipleship initiative, one idea that we want to focus on today is the mission. The mission of discipleship, the goal, right? Now, that's actually a huge topic, but we'll just be covering an aspect of that today, right? So the mission, the end goal of being a student of Jesus. That's discipleship, being a student of Jesus. What is the end goal? Which the end goal ultimately doesn't see its, its fulfillment even into eternity, right? We'll constantly be learning. Um, even, even in eternity, we'll be lifelong students. But we do see an element of the mission or the goal fulfilled at Christ's second coming. Now, the book of Matthew is written in a way that focuses on the truths or the realities of the kingdom of heaven, okay? If you read through Matthew, if you do a close reading, you'll find that it repeats this concept of the kingdom, 
the kingdom. The kingdom is like, the kingdom is this, etc. And so as you go through the narrative, ultimately it begins to paint this picture of another world. That world being the kingdom of heaven. And it does this by highlighting the life of a man from heaven. More specifically, Jesus. And so it highlights the actions and behaviors of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the feelings of Jesus, the principles and teachings of Jesus, and of course, the ideals of Jesus. God, in human form, lived like a citizen of heaven while he took up residence here on earth. Jesus was an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. He gave us a glimpse into that other world, that other experience. And so by looking at Jesus and by studying his life, we understand that the kingdom of heaven, we understand what it's like. We get a little taste. So as we read the gospels, we can conclude that based on what we've seen of Jesus, the citizens of his kingdom are most likely in harmony with the principles, with the ideals, with the thoughts, with the feelings, and even, dare I say, the character of Jesus, of him, the ambassador. So in Matthew 25, Jesus begins sharing these parables, these illustrations about the end of time and the kingdom of heaven. And one lesson that he shares is the, the commonality of thought and behavior of the righteous who are a part of the kingdom and the unrighteous who are not. And through this, we better understand the mission of discipleship. We get, a, get, to, get to see at least what Jesus's idea of it is. When I was in fourth grade, I was about nine years old, uh, there was a new kid. Have any of you ever been the new kid before? Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. Well, Jessica, she was a new girl and she came to uh, our school, came in the class, and my teacher wanted her to feel welcome, so she chose a buddy for Jessica to hang out with for the first week, and, week or so. She chose me. So I was, you know, supposed to show her the ropes, befriend her, make, them, make her feel welcome and comfortable. And you know, sometimes it takes a while for kids to adjust to the new kid in town, unless they have like, you know, some super cool trait about them that makes them stand out and everyone wants to you know, be their friend. But, you know, something about kids is they can sometimes have a hard time accepting when people or things around them are different. And Jessica was a little different. <laughs> she didn't have the cool factor, right? At nine years old, right? We're all trying to be cool, even <laughs> as adults. And so, because of this, you know, kids can behave in a way that is, you know, unpleasant or even hurtful at times. So, a month or so passes, right? Things seem to be going decently. And then one morning, everyone comes into class and my teacher makes this big announcement. And she says, 
Jessica had an accident, and she shattered all of her front teeth. I know, that's what we all did. <laughs> that's what we all did. She was playing. She um, ran into the dining room table or fell on the glass dining room table and shattered the whole front row of her teeth. And clearly, she didn't have, her family may not have had money to fix it, so it remained like that for the rest of her time at school. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, nine years old, fourth grade, and, um, you know, our teacher didn't want everyone asking her every moment, hey, what happened? What happened? You know, all throughout the day, everyone you encounter wants to know what happened. So she did an announcement to cover those grounds. So the problem was Jessica did not look the same at all. And that's when things began to change. Because she looked so different, people started treating her differently. And now, before I go on, let me very most ashamedly make sure you know that I am not the hero in the story, okay? I'm also not, not quite the villain. <laughs> I, no, no, I didn't, I didn't, let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, oh, I just shrunk my screen here. Um, can someone run down and just make this big, just expand the screen? So I can continue with the story. So, so Jessica did not look, just make it bigger, different at all, or she looked different. She looked completely different. People started treating her differently. They would ignore her. They would snicker behind her back, uh, make jokes. You, you know, you know how kids are. You know. Just, just, just the, um, <laughs> the, the other, excuse me. <laughs> Let me do it. Okay, we lost the, the big screen. Okay. Oh, there it is behind me. Yeah, it just needs to be here. Here we go. Thank you. Yes, give him a round of applause. Come into my aid when I needed it. I appreciate that. All right, so I was saying, kids, start snickering behind your back. And um, <clears throat> me, what did I do? Now, I did not treat her differently, mean. I was not mean, but I was not nice. I, wasn't, I was kind of just, you know. And the only reason that I didn't do what everyone else was doing was only because I wanted my teacher to think well of me. I, I wanted my teacher to think I was a nice girl and I was friendly. But it wasn't because I felt like it was the right thing to do. I'm nine, okay? Give nine-year-old Michelle some grace, all right? Anyways, but in my opinion, I wasn't nice, right? 
So fast forward 15, 16 years later, I finished my undergrad at Michigan State University and elementary school, long out of the mind, out of the picture. And I get this friend request on Facebook from Jessica, who I had completely forgotten about. So we start chatting and she starts talking about what she remembers from our elementary school. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, because <laughs> from what I remember. <laughs> but she says this, and I just, I hung my head. She said, for some reason, I'm really happy I found you because I remember you as really smart and a good friend. To this day, I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I remember you as a good friend. I don't quite remember things that way. In fact, I don't really remember them at all. But the part that I do remember is the truth. And I'm glad that she, I'm glad that what she experienced was a good memory for me. I, I am glad, but I know that my heart wasn't genuine. That's what I remember. That's the part. In Matthew 25, verse 31, the Bible says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Let me pause right there. This is a global event. All nations come before God and he's sifting, right? Sheep, Goats, it presents this picture. So whatever we're about to discover is applicable to every single person on the globe, okay? Verse 33, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, verse 35. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Hmm. Interesting. Jesus communicates something quite simple about the righteous at the end of time. It's so simple that I I don't want us to gloss over it. Here it is. The righteous at the end of time care about people. They care about others. Now, that might not be a, a mind-blowing discovery but it is a commonality of every single righteous person at the end of time. They care about the suffering, the misfortunes, the tragedies of other people. They care. You know, the world is the way that it is 
because people don't care. They don't genuinely care. And we know that. We know that. We know who we are. We also know because we have systems, we have policies, we have practices in our society that prosper off of a type of disadvantage or oppression of different groups of people. We have a prison system. We need we have, we have education structures and systems that need reform. We have insurance and medical. Systems that prosper off of a lack of knowledge and opportunity of others. Systems that prosper because, because of power and advantage. Because they don't care. And everybody wants to go to heaven. You know this song, everybody talking about heaven ain't go. No, I'm not going to finish that line, but I don't know if you know that old Negro spiritual. Anyways, everybody wants to go to heaven, but make no mistake. The kingdom of heaven is not a place where people don't care about each other. Everybody cares. Nobody's coming in last place. That's the kingdom, that's the type of world where we're going. Everybody cares. It's not survival of the fittest. Doesn't work like that. It's in the words of Judah, the brother of Joseph, when they had taken his brother Benjamin captive, uh, uh, they didn't know Joseph was the, the, basically the, the governor, the vice president of, of Egypt at that time, and, they, and he took Benjamin captive, and, and then Judah stands up and says, no, 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 wait, how will I go up to my father if my brother is not with me? That's how they think. I, how can I succeed? How can I make it here and my brother and sister are languishing in the street? They're like, well, I got here. I don't know about you guys. That is not the philosophy of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not sure what our ideas were or are or were of discipleship and, uh, and being a student of Jesus prior to this, but if it doesn't stir within you a desire to uplift your neighbor, that is not a discipleship mission of Jesus. If it doesn't cause you or ping your heart to care about other people, take another look at it. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we, we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? They're like, I, when did this happen, Jesus? Well, how? I never saw you. That's because their care for others is not manufactured. Rather, it's a way of being. It's a way of being. It's just who they are. It's just 
who they are. There's no motive. They don't, they don't serve or help because they want people to see them. They don't treat people nicely because they want their teachers to like them, right? Or, or to be highly esteemed by others. They serve because that's who they are. It's, it's such a way of being that they don't keep track and, and the memory that they have of their service doesn't, doesn't stir pride of achievement, but rather it reminds them of the painful reality of humanity and the desire to bring dignity back to people created in the image of God. It's so tightly knit into who they are that I would even call it subconscious. And in a way, it's, it's as natural as breathing. You don't have to think about it. You just, you just do it. Jesus said, these are the righteous that inherit the kingdom of heaven. Being a disciple of Jesus is about the state of the heart. And it can be seen through how we love each other, our neighbors. Verse 40, and the king will answer them. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. The way that we treat the least in our societies is representative of how we would treat Jesus if he were here among us. What you think of the lowest, what society deems as the lowest person is how you think of Jesus. That's what he's saying. The actions we do to others is as if we are doing it to God himself. And the way that we love our neighbor, that is how we actually demonstrate our love toward God. So when I say, I love you, God, it should be reflected in how I engage with others. Loving our neighbor is the standard by which we understand that we actually do love God. Loving God and loving our neighbor, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself is intertwined. It cannot, you cannot do one and leave the other. They go hand in hand. You may not even know that you're loving God, but if, when you're loving your neighbor, that's what you're doing. Because Jesus connects the two saying that loving your neighbor actually shows your love for me. Jesus identifies as the shepherd in this parable, but he also identifies as the person who is hungry, as the person who is thirsty, as the immigrant or foreigner, as the one who is naked in need of clothing, as the one who is sick, and even as the prisoner. Now don't breeze, don't breeze over that point. Jesus said, I'm the prisoner. People are in prison for a lot of different things. Rape, 
murder, this, that, extortion. Jesus said, that's me. I said, oh, Lord. And he said, you didn't visit me. Lord, help me. That is, the, that's the kind of heart. That's, that's only, that's only divine. Jesus is saying he identifies with people who have been locked up for good or for evil. Because Jesus is a savior for all of humanity. All of humanity. He identifies with all those who suffer from mental illness and walk around naked on the streets of New York City with widows and orphans. He identifies with them. Now, we, it's not always practical you know, for you to stop or even safe when you're walking you know, the streets of New York City, but how can we, within the spheres that we have impact over, bring dignity, bring humanity back to the least in our society? Maya Angelou said this, uh, said this a quote, she said, if it is true that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, isn't it also true a society is only as healthy as its sickest citizen and only as wealthy as its most deprived? Pearl Buck, an American writer and novelist, her, her parents, or one of her parents um, was a missionary, so she grew up in China. She said the test of a civilization is the way that it cares for its helpless members. Look at the communities that you're a part of, the smaller ones, the larger ones. Think about those who may be considered the least or helpless. Jesus said, another principle of the kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Heaven flips our understanding upside down. He also said, the greatest among you, let them be a servant, which is why God himself came down and served. The greatest among you, let them be a servant. So to illustrate this, God comes down to earth and instead of having a superiority complex, came as a servant. The greater we are deemed in society, according to the principles of the kingdom, the more that is required of us in service. What you are capable of doing, do it. Impact policy, impact change, change someone's life whether it's just your neighbor, whatever is in your sphere. Be a voice for the voiceless. Be a presence of compassion. The difference, actually, let me, let's, verse 41. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire 
prepared for the devil and his angels. Not prepared for you, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when? When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The difference between the righteous and the non-righteous in this shot here, in this parable, is their partiality in treatment of those that qualify as the least. They said, no, 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 Jesus, if I'd have seen you, I would have helped you. Where were you? I never saw you in prison. You never went, but I never saw you in prison. I didn't see anyone hungry or thirsty. If you would have come and knocked, Jesus, surely I would have fed you. Jesus said, no, no, no. Everybody you passed every single day. All the people currently there, that's me. You know, I imagine it is most difficult to love God, to love God and your neighbor when you have a partiality complex. In fact, it's, it's profane. It seems easier to love people who are like us or don't have a, a big need or if they do have a need, they're, they're our buddies and we, we run in the same crowd. It's easy, it's easy to help those people. We love them. But the stranger, the foreigner, the person who always needs help, <laughs> it's hard. But according to heaven, it is those with need that heaven lifts up. He said, the last shall be first holds them in high esteem. You know, when I read the book of Acts, the book of Acts talking about the early church and, and their radicalness, it talks about where <clears throat> the, people, the people of God, they come together and it says, no one had need of anything, Acts chapter four. They had all things in common. People brought their things, their property, they sold it and they brought it before the apostles' feet and made sure that everyone had need of nothing. Now, I'm not saying that that's the structure we live in today, but the principle remains true. How can we live to where we make sure that in our sphere, no one has need of anything? What can we do? And are we concerned? So what is the mission, the end goal of discipleship? The mission is people. Let me elaborate. People transformed and rejuvenated by the Spirit of God. People who operate according to the principles of heaven while taking residence here on this current earth. You, you, 
you operate under a different code of law. A people whose hearts have been changed, lives transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're just a different person. People who have a genuine care for the well-being of others, the least in our societies. It's not something that we have naturally. We have a tendency to be numb, to be able to wash or tune things out. I mean, if you're in a certain place long enough, you just stop seeing certain things. It's easy, it happens. But the righteous at the end of time, they feel it here. It hurts them because it hurts God. And when we experience this change, this transformation, this soft, sensitive heart, this is the actualization of salvation. This is the, the aftermath, the fruit of the gospel, of the good news impacting your life. The gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises us delivery from sin in the heart and in the mind. Not just, not simply your actions, but in here, I need a whole new mind. Which then impacts our day-to-day -day actions in our lives and in this world. It impacts our perspective, it cuts to the root of our selfishness, our partiality, we all do it, our numbness, and allows us to see things the way that God sees them. It allows us to live as citizens of heaven while taking residence here on earth. And that work, that is a divine work. And so the whole life discipleship initi initiative can't do that transformative work. No, we can never claim that. That is the work of God. We are simply here to support you in this experience so that there is an outlet for you to express the change you're experiencing in your heart by the hand of God. Advent Hope desires to be a community that not only demonstrates kingdom values, but provides a, a type of runway or a platform for individuals to live those kingdom values out. So what now? What does this mean? Get your hands dirty. Sometimes the deepest change comes in the act of doing. Paul, Peter, they had biases, they had problems with the Gentiles, but it wasn't until they started working on behalf of the Gentiles that God cured that. Their eyes started to open. Oh, they too are of the family of God. Get your hands dirty. 
We got to start being salt, salty, <laughs> you know, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Here's my challenge to you in 2023. Yes, get your hands dirty, but it starts with getting to know Jesus Christ. Connect. Connect, and honestly, connecting with your neighbor, it, it's kind of this triangle thing. We have fellowship with one another, we have fellowship with Christ the Son. Amen? Amen. Is that your desire? Amen. I hope so, because we desire to help you fulfill that. Amen.